0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
2: Hello, my name is Gary Mansfield, and this is a bonus episode of the Ministry of Arts podcast. Now, as ever, let's begin by banging these bongos. Hello, and welcome to this bonus episode of the Ministry of Arts podcast. Today, I'm going to take you to meet portrait artist, Julie Bennett. I first met Julie a couple of years ago at her solo exhibition to mark the end of her artist-in-residency at the Bankside Hotel in London, and I was introduced to her by a good friend of the podcast, Gita Joshi. In this episode, we'll be speaking about Julie's previous life in the music industry, which then merged itself into the visual arts. She talks about her involvement in portraits for NHS heroes with her friend Tom Croft and her latest exhibition that's in a police station nonetheless. So please come with me as I spoke to Julie Bennett. Good to see you.
1: And you, and you. We haven't really chatted before. Like, I remember you came to my private view um, at Bankside Hotel, the residency.
2: Yeah, that was a a good show, wasn't it?
1: Really fantastic location. Um, Yeah, really very successful show as well. How long was
2: you in there for?
1: Six weeks. Wow. Uh, And I was in every day. I worked really, really hard, like, from about 10 a.m. till 10 p.m. for six weeks. Um, you know, I really just, it was just a,
2: a, a fantastic way of focusing. But when you get an opportunity like that, you've got, to, you've got to take hold of it, haven't you, and get the most out of it. Yeah. Yeah, Geeta, uh, Geeta Joshy had been speaking of you for a long time before I actually uh, came to meet you. Yeah, so yeah, she we... always championed you.
1: Oh, thanks. We, um, we met... I met Gita through South London Women Artists. That's it. Um, she did a talk and uh, and it was like a Zoom talk to like sort of 20 women but, but but we seemed to get on really well even in that Zoom talk with the other 19 women you know there was something that connected <laughs> yeah. me and Gita somehow. And how did you meet Gita? How did you how do you know Just Gita?
2: Just food podcast. Because she was doing her podcast at the time, and this was yeah. like four years ago. Um, she had the curator salon going. I had this going. Um, and when I come across hers, it was, you know, someone in the art industry having a conversation rather than an interview, you know? Yes. We got chatting and we said, well, why don't we do a crossover? So we met up at Damien Hurst's gallery. Oh, yeah. Um, one quiet Saturday afternoon sat in the um in the restaurant or the cafe there i sat down and recorded with her and she sat down and recorded with me and yeah got on great with her ever since yeah she's a great girl she really is so how did you get into art was there art in the home growing up or creativity um well
1: yes and no my my mum was obsessed with the
2: portrait of
1: the mona lisa And, um, and so she had that in her bedroom and I'd be a little girl, maybe sort of six year old. And she'd say, don't touch that. Don't go anywhere near it. That's the Mona Lisa. And she can see you anywhere in the room. If you go and stand over there, or if you go and stand over there, she can see you, she's looking at you. And, and she sort of, my mum made me believe that that was like the, you know, the most iconic painting in the world. And so, I was very aware of portraiture and also we lived by Dulwich Picture Gallery which has got like the Rembrandts and stuff and mum was very proud that um, there was like the portrait of the girl at the window and um, other sort of portraits of Rembrandts there and so she'd take me to see the portraiture uh, at Dulwich Picture Gallery. She didn't paint, Um, she was a musician, she was a pianist but she she made me very aware of painting when i think i showed an interest in painting yeah um uh and when i started to paint more prolifically she'd say oh you don't get that from me you get that from your dad um but my dad died when i was four oh, so wow. okay. um so i i you know i i i didn't know you know his personality or what he made other than my mum's stories
2: so that's the where the creative line came from yes and how old were you when you started painting more prolifically
1: at school i absolutely i i got banned in the art class for painting boy george um and they told me that (laughs) i wouldn't be able to pass my o levels if i did paintings of boy george for my o level yeah. so i decided to paint boy george as a man rather than in his makeup and his hat mm-hmm. and his hair so I, I managed to source pictures of george with no makeup and i painted them for my o level and i passed
2: <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. i love it when when the, the rules get bent to breaking point you know <laughs>
1: um and and so then yeah from school moved on to working in uh record shops because uh, the music is a massive part of my life and but i was always making things so i uh did a fanzine um i did a number of fanzines so then i would do all the drawings and the layout of the fanzine so friends would do the writing and then i'd do the 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 layout so this sort of that kind of drawing wise was still going um and then i decided to do an arts foundation And and then that was the moment where it was really hard to decide whether to be a painter or whether to be a graphic designer. I knew what a struggle it would be to make a living out of painting that I decided to become a graphic designer. And um, so the creative line was there. But it was it was a more sort of sensible head of thinking i need to have a career yeah and and i need to have training and i need to be i need to have a trade and um so yeah did graphics and then but painting was always calling it was always in the back of my head and even when i was doing like magazine layouts and 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 graphic design i'd always be drawing or working with color and and how colors work with each other within within the work um and and on the foundation course they the painting department would don't go to graphics don't go to the evil of computer you know stay with us and paint but um but yes i went to the evil of the screen how long was that um so i i worked as a graphic designer for 10 years and i achieved my dream job and that was to become art editor of NME which was nice. the new musical express yeah. Yeah. and I, I, I became deputy art editor and then art editor on there like, like one shots and, and stuff and yeah really loved that and you know it was an, a crazy time with you know like say razor light the Strokes, Oasis, it, non-stop in the office. So many, hundreds of bands, desperate to appear on the pages of Enemy, and would and would do anything to any of the Enemy staff to try and get their song heard. Like one day um, in the office, we well a couple of times. What one day I was working and about seven bikini girls came running into the office, jumping on our desks, just in the most tiniest of bikinis with with um, tequila. And it was like 11 o'clock in the morning, and everyone was like, what? And they were like, drink tequila, listen to this song. And they were playing it on a you know, a handset sort of thing. And, uh, so, and I did, God knows how they got through security. And, uh, that's, and as then if, then...
2: that's as if my dream has just come to real life. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then another day, uh, you know, like when there's a carnival and those trucks um, have all like the sound systems on them. One time we were at the desk, you know, working another 11 o'clock in the morning and uh, suddenly out the window, we were something like 20. 19th floor we were 19th floor on the ipc tower and uh, and yes the this truck came along and you could hear every word that they were singing um they were trying to get us to of course you know and suddenly all the this hampers of food and drink arrived at the and office and how
2: many of those actually worked
1: um oh we we put uh, you know a mention in the magazine
2: superb um, so we're talking about your portraits, Julie. For anyone that may not know, Julie Bennett. How would you describe your work?
1: Portraiture and <laughs> an absolute massive focus on the face, and not using any kind of symbols or background or anything to distract you from staring at the face. Um, and and the work is high gloss uh it's heightened reality colors um it's very much a celebration of the paint so the paint marks the brush marks the drips everything that the physicality of the paint creates is important to me because it's um what I want you to do is look at that and know that it's a painting. I don't want you to think it's been made in any other way. And I think that's a reaction to my graphic design work that's screen based and that everything that we deal with today is screen and, and technology and however fantastic screen and technology is, I want to go back to the tradition of painting and show you the, the, the process, the layering, the marks, the, the mistakes, the drips, the, the chance, the lack of control of something that's a runny, drippy medium. And, yeah. and, 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 and we don't, everything is about perfection now. Um, you know, you know, you don't see, you hardly see ripped down posters these days on the street. They're just all digital displays and nothing can really go wrong other than a few missing pixels or it just blacks out. I I want to see the imperfection of a craft, I think as well, and I, you know, and I want to, you know, my statement is painting is still relevant,
2: Hmm.
1: mark making. It creates such an excitement in my heart. Like when I look at marks of, you know, Chantel Joffe or Marlena Dumas, I'll go to a show and think, you know, Andrew Salgado's thick oil paint. It's just so exciting yeah. for me. Um, far more exciting than, you know, a billboard on the street. Yeah. It, I want, I really want it to be about the paint.
2: You just mentioned a few artists there. If there was you and five other artists, past or present, what would your ideal group show be? Oh, um,
1: It would be something like, it would be called Celebration of Paints, and it would be Chantal Joffey, Jenny Saville, William de Kooning, um Geraldine Swain, Nice. was that five?
2: (laughs) I I, I wasn't keeping count, I wasn't keeping count. We started off this conversation talking about your exhibition and residency at Bankside. Have you got anything coming up or in the pipeline at the moment?
1: Yes, I've got something very exciting actually. Um, I did two things in lockdown. And one was that I painted the NHS, portraits for NHS heroes with the uh, artist Tom Croft. Uh, Tom rang me and said, help, I've put something (laughs) on social media and... And I've made a I... rod for my own back. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, "Help, Julie, help!" Um, I've I've offered to do a free portrait to an NHS person. And I was like, oh, "That's a lovely idea." And he went, and I've got 117 or something. And I was yeah. like, "Oh!" And he was like, "So I was wondering whether you could take one or two off me and do some pet portraits for free." and of course we couldn't get into the studio nobody could go anywhere and i thought well i might as well you know and it and in a way there was nothing for us to be able to feel that we were useful you know who needs a painter when you're in an epidemic you know you need people from the nhs and then so if you can champion the nhs and make those people feel special an oil painting to you know so many people don't get painted and um you, you know you'd never have the opportunity to have an oil portrait of yourself in yeah. in in life and and uh, and so you know we i made 12 nhs portraits in the yeah. end during the two years really of the lockdowns and and each person I got to know and it was a real really special time and very scary time, uh, very emotional time and endless time as well that we never knew what was going to happen and yeah. so I made all these portraits and and I and in the end I made a tea towel and I raised money for, for uh, healthcare workers and I think I made about two grand selling tea towels over nice. the lockdown of the paintings and I gave my paintings to each NHS person. So I did that in lockdown. And the other thing I did was, uh, I don't know if you've heard of ArtQuest. Um, Yeah. 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 Um, So ArtQuest is a peer mentoring organisation run by the University of the Arts to make a connection for artists to to create a dialogue um, in different subjects all around the world and and they advertised in lockdown that there was going to be a painting session and that they were going to choose 10 painters and they were going to put us in a zoom room and start a dialogue basically about painting today and how we're going to get through this lockdown how we're not going to feel isolated how how we're going to make a connection how we're going to be relevant you know never met each other we all hadn't seen each other's work. And we chatted, I think it was about once every two weeks on zoom for about an hour and a half. And we decided to do crits of each other's work and crits of ideas for projects that we hadn't even done because we couldn't get into the studio. But we thought we would talk about our future work. And this became a crucial artistic conversation for me in lockdown with these 10 other artists and and we've kept it going
0: there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify
1: that they wanted to put on a real um exhibition a phys- real physical exhibition of our work and that they were going to try and get a space and then they said that they'd got an old police station
2: Brilliant.
1: in Hampstead called the couple uh, project station and there was there's about seven police prison cells Um, And that we could all have a cell each and then other artists can have like the reception or the the, the hallway in the police station. It's a beautiful building. You know, for the very first time we we met in real life, we've started a collective called All Together At Once. And ten painters from all around the world, five or six of us met in Hampstead to see the space. And it was very eerie and very historic. It felt very, still felt very scary. Um, it felt like you had been arrested walking into it, you know, and then and then seeing the cells and sitting in the cells and seeing all the writing, all the inscriptions on the doors. And so anyway, so we all, we all said, this is an amazing space. And yes, we should respond. To this space and put a show together, and so nine of us are going to be showing in Hampstead Police Station uh, from the twenty-fourth of August until the third of September.
2: Okay.
1: Um, I was like, who should I be painting to put into a cell in Hampstead, and 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 so my first reaction was, Hampstead is so famous for homosexual activity. Any Londoner, the first thing that comes into their head, I would have thought, is that Hampstead's famous for gay sex on the heath, yeah. and and um, and that you know that's if you're a gay man, that's where you go for yeah, to yeah. to find somebody. And um, and I thought, my God, the amount of men that must have been arrested, being caught on the heath and taken to Hampstead Police Station I you know I can't imagine how many men will have been arrested but I'm sure it would be hundreds yeah and and it makes made me so angry made me so sad you know where's the equality I thought well this could be a chance for me to address that and think about how times have changed yeah so so I decided that I would paint five um prominent homosexuals who have either been in my life because I was interested in their work or you know they're either in their films or in their writing or in their music um and and then I thought actually it would be a really interesting thing to to do one from kind of one from each era so I started with Oscar Wilde and because he was born in 1854 he wasn't pardoned for his homosexuality until a 100 years after he died. Mad isn't it? Yeah and and he was this most flamboyant character and like photography was around when Oscar was alive so you can see lots of pictures of Oscar and he's like you know, direct eye contact, really proud of his flamboyant dandy self and, you know, and the idea that he can't love somebody, you know, that he can't find love and he can't be proud of who he is. So I depicted him in the painting uh, with a sort of sepia tone to sort of reflect the sort of historic time uh, and, and really quite you know no direct contact because he had to keep his head down really to hide his sexuality um and so i tried to to sort of put that into the work and create a vulnerability by still showing the ground uh, within within the piece so you've got you've got the painting of the face the face is painted on a blue ground and i've left some of the blue ground with to show his kind of hidden self within the face nice and then, yeah, so he was born in 1854. And so then I was thinking, oh, I need somebody, you know, a little bit later. So then I decided to go with Alan Turing.
2: Perfect.
1: And he was born in 1912. Uh, I didn't know that much about Alan. So it was a real interesting journey for me to find out about him. One of him the most
2: and... shocking stories, how, how he was treated. Yes. For, for what he'd done as well, for, for Britain and the war really shocking and you know and the i don't know if you've read
1: much about his possible suicide Yeah, that he went to see uh snow white at the cinema and um and she bites an apple yeah and 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 his body was found with a half bitten apple beside his bed with the smell of cyanide everywhere you know they can't guarantee that that was definitely suicide but it's more than likely you could either be imprisoned or you could have castration through chemical castration so he decided to have chemical castration which then made him develop breasts you know it's absolutely appalling for a man of his dignity you know the dignity of him and the importance of him and how he's helped Britain, and that's how we treated him, just because he wanted to love a man.
2: He was, he was as important in the Second World War as Montgomery, without, without question.
1: Yes. So with the painting, um, there was no photographs of Alan in colour. He died in 1954. And so colour photography hadn't really come in. So I really wanted to depict him in colour. And I'd read that he had these beautiful blue eyes. So I've really sort of concentrated and done a real reference to those. But what I've also done is put the court proceeding papers in the background. so you can see, you know, what they were saying about him, that he was gross indecency and how he was arrested. And, and all of that text is in the background of the paintings. I, so to continue the timeline, so it was Oscar and then Alan. And then I decided to do Derek Jarman. Oh, and yeah,
2: nice.
1: he, it, Derek was always in my life. So when I'd go clubbing and, and stuff, I'd either see Derek clubbing. Um, a friend of mine was his a, a painting assistant. And so I was always aware of him. And I, I'm reading this book at the moment. Um, uh, it's called um, Jarman, At Your Own Risk. And there's this fantastic paragraph that I thought I'd read to you because I think it's really good. Okay. <laughs> For the first 25 years of my life, I've lived as a criminal. And the next 25 years was spent as a second class citizen deprived from equality and human rights, no right to adopt children and if I had any children I could be declared an unfit parent, illegal in the military, an age of consent of 21, no right of inheritance, no right of access to a loved one, no right to the public affection and no right to an unbiased education no legal sanction of my relationships and no right to marry these restrictions deprived me of my freedom it seemed unthinkable it could be any other way though so i just had to accept it thankfully homosexuality was decriminalized in his 20s but he was arrested in 1992 for uh, a gay protest he died before the you know the age of consent was equaled so much he didn't see as you know and so but yet he saw so much that Oscar and Alan didn't yeah yeah. you know Derek like kind of lived in the middle of the two and so he saw what it was like to be arrested for gay sex and then he and then he saw it decriminalized so that So he was like, he's like the middle of my timeline for for the Hampstead show. The the last two uh, is Ollie Alexander um, from the lead singer of Years and Years. And he uh, was in that series, It's a Sin.
2: That was amazing series, wasn't it?
1: Yes, a fantastic series and very educational, I think, for a lot of people that didn't really know what it was like to live in London as a gay man in the sort of the, you know, the eighties the really,
2: yeah. and how, you know, how much homophobia
1: there was.
2: Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I, I've done that myself. I was told on the telly that it was a disease caused by gay men. Yes. So, and then it was spreading over from the gay community into the wider community. So, yeah, I was one of those in the eighties through ignorance. who was going, you know, what the what are you doing to us? You know.
1: Yes, and it, and then it just shows you the homophobia of the media. Yeah. You know, and and just the lack of the the lack of any education or money thrown into the gay community to help them. They yeah. were shunted. You know, they it was just like oh, quick,
2: lock them up again. You know, yeah. what have we done? You know, it was really. Well, as I mentioned earlier about working in heavens, like which was maybe five years after. Um, the the era that we're talking about at the moment, that was the best thing I ever done was work there because all the prejudices, misinformation that I had stored up here because I used to read the sun, you know, that's where I got all my information from. And that's, that's what I had inside me. And then it got all deconstructed in the 18 months that I was working in Heaven's Nightclub. Yeah. Yeah. It sort of, you know, just makes you see the other side of the coin and, and, and the correct way of living.
1: Um, Alexa- Ollie Alexander, obviously, he was born in 1990, which was only a couple of weeks ago, I think. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and reading and hearing him speak now, there's still so, he's, he talks about internalised homophobia. So he talks about how school saw him as other you, you you know you're not born thinking woohoo i'm gay you know you'd look at him and think oh you know like i've painted him in this see-through vest and he's biting his tongue and he's looking ever so sexy and you know he's very proud of his sexuality but he talks about this internalized homophobia that, that you still don't feel that you're worthy you don't feel that it's it's you know it's, it's just normal it's still even though that was like 30 years ago, you know, or 20 years ago at his school, he said that, you know, he was bullied. And you know, what? it's an awful, awful thing that kids that are born gay, still feel that they shouldn't be gay.
2: Yeah,
1: it's a bit like, you know, it'd be like, blue eyes, brown eyes, you know, you, you know, you can't help your eye colour. So why should you be bullied for it? You know, yeah, and and yeah. like he he said that he was self harming, that he had bulimia because of his homosexuality, and yet we've come so far from say Oscar and Alan Turing and stuff, and now you've got this gorgeous boy, you know, and he it, there's still so much
2: homophobia. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's as if the the fundamentals have been. Um, leveled, and now we're just working on the details. Of, yes, you know, yeah. So, and so then... it's been decriminalised. It, it's hard to even think it was ever criminalised. Oh, yeah, especially, absolutely. Especially as the ones making the um making the laws were the ones that were breaking the laws at the time.
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely. And then the last painting I've done is of Anne Lister. And Anne Lister uh, was born in 1791. Oh, OK. <laughs> the other
2: end of the timeline.
1: And, uh, and she was the, the first out lesbian. Now, oh, wow. all of my paintings are going to be hung um, in the cell, in the police station. But the only one that's not going to be in the cell is Anne Lister. So she's going to be on the outside of the cell because lesbianism was never illegal it was never you know it was invisible women women were invisible women's sexuality was invisible and so you know the idea that these guys were being arrested castrated imprisoned for something so natural to them to want to be held and want to be loved and and so she's on the outside of the cell because the state just didn't recognize lesbians And uh, the BBC just did a recent um, drama series called Gentleman Jack. It's her life story. And so that's how she came into my world recently, just by seeing Gentleman Jack on the telly and uh, again, because photography didn't exist. There's a couple of oil portraits of the real Anne Lister, but there's uh, talk of them not being realistic or they haven't captured her so i decided to actually paint saran jones the actress <laughs> who played Anne in the bbc yeah. series because that's who my Anne lester is of course Brilliant. and uh the real Anne, she started uh, relationships with women uh, she called them the fairer sex and that she would only sleep with the fairer sex she documented all her sexual encounters in a diary but she wrote code so it's actually like egyptian um hieroglyphics Hieroglyphics, you know it's really you know you'd never be able to read it um and she wrote years and years and years of of her diaries in this code and people have been doing phds in decoding them and they're very sexually explicit of what she's done with all these different women. And she had, she was quite a, very popular in Halifax. (laughs) 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 So I've used, I've actually copied a page from the diary as the background to the painting. Excellent. Um, Because it's just, even just the text itself is a beautiful thing to, to see. They're the characters that I'm showing in the police station. And what's the dates of this? uh so the dates of the show of um at the couple project is the 24th of august until the 3rd of september 2020
2: whereabouts can we find the couple project
1: it's hampstead tube station and it's just down the high street it's the old police station uh but you can if you look on instagram on either my page julie underscore bennett two n's two t's or the uh the koppel project k o p p e l so you'll you'll see about the show on both of those instagram accounts yeah. Um, but yeah it's going to be very interesting and and so the other nine artists are doing either site specific work about isolation um about crime and it's a painting show so it's the, the bottom line is it's all about paint.
2: <laughs> Okey dokey. see you later it's see lovely later. to see you and, and, you and
1: hopefully see you again at a show or something or we'll do something Julie, all the best. See you later.
2: if you've got an exhibition or any other creative project within the arts or even just want to promote your own artwork you could do that in podcast form similar to the one you've just listened to they start at a convenient price point that is comfortable for any artist working on a budget. This podcast itself is created by working artists and we know how important that is. So to find out more information, you can email us on ministryofartsorg at gmail.com or on Instagram at ministryofartsorg. Ta-da!